So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I don't want you to stand yet. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 while you're there. Keep your finger at that place. Then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You got five fingers, so I think you might be able to do all this. And then Romans chapter 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Let's stop here in the pages turn. That's good enough. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. <clears throat> this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. It's a church he pastored for three and a half years. He's writing this, uh, this epistle, this letter. That's what epistle means, letter. He's writing it while he's in prison. Um, he's encouraging this church. He's gone through all of their heavenly position in Christ and all the blessings of what it means to be a Christian. And now he's going through the responsibilities in the body of Christ. Last week, we looked at unity. He says, therefore, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we're going to continue on that theme. And we're going to pick up at verse 11 of chapter 4. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means building up for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, here we go, everyone say this next word, joined. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Everyone say every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To the other, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, oh, this is going to get funky. Different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. There's no question mark there, I just added it. But one of the same, uh, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. As he wills, drop down to verse 27 of the same chapter. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is no. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. That's the way of love. And then finally, let's go to Romans 12. We'll read briefly, and then you may sit. You all look so exhausted. <laughs> Romans 12, picking up verse 4. 
For as we have many members in one body, but all are the members, do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let's do that again. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so that is what we'll be studying. There's a lot, but hang in there. It'll be okay. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we take a look at what it means that God, you don't give one person all the gifts. You've given us each individually a gift or a certain amount of gifts for the sole purpose that we need each other and that we're joined together, knit together, that every joint would supply according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And Lord, you, you join us in these giftings by your love, the most excellent way. And so God, I pray that as we examine this text, we as the body of Christ we rejoice to see where we fit in this beautiful body that is yours. And we rejoice and thank you that you are the head. And Lord, we receive from you this day all that you would desire us to know. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, have a seat. I'm so excited. They found my, my Bible. I have two Bibles, and I leave them up here. And we have another church that uses a fellowship. And one time somebody took it and used it for a while and then realized it was mine and brought it back. Bless their heart. Another time I found it out on the bookshelf out there, and it's kind of fun. It's like an Easter egg hunt. I always kind of... But when they come back, it's just faithful friend. You miss them, you know? So. Well, as uh, we come to this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, and we, we looked last week at, as it says, endeavoring to keep the union of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we talked about 40,000, or excuse me, 40 trillion, 40 trillion cells in the human body that all work in unity so that the body can operate uh, and, and, and be effective in what it does. My mind is telling my hand to, you know, go through the pages of the scripture and, and I'm taking in what I'm seeing and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm processing it through what God has given in these 40 trillion, 40, 40 trillion cells in the human body. Now, we also learn, too, that each of us, in a sense, is a cell in the body of Christ. He's the head, but we all are a part of the body of Christ and we're joined together, as we're seeing here, but we saw last week in this idea of unity that it takes one cell to destroy the 40 trillion cells, and that's called cancer. And the reason why cancer is so effective is because it is a master at division. It divides so rapidly, it's self-centered, self-consuming, and destroys everything around it, has its own agenda, and destroys the body. One cell can destroy 40 trillion cells. What's true for the human body is true for the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on a cross. We serve one another in love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Christ says, as I have loved you, so love one another. He loved us so much, he died for us. He laid his life down. We've all received mercy. We've all received grace. As you've been forgiven, so forgive one another. There's no room for an agenda here. We're all unified behind Christ. That's our sole purpose is to serve him. Uh, we were just talking up in the room uh, in my office when we were praying before we came down. And one of the pastors on staff performed a wedding yesterday. I performed a funeral. 
uh, he performed a wedding. And at his wedding, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm reading a, um, another work by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And when he was in prison, he, he wanted to write the sermon for his niece's wedding. And then the, and the sermon never made it in time because the Nazis held it back. But he was writing this sermon and he was engaged to be married. And he was never married. He was executed before he was married. And in this sermon, he was contemplating what is called the sacrament of marriage. And as he was, he was considering the sacrament of marriage, it's one of the most famous lines, because though this sermon wasn't preached at his niece's wedding, uh, it did go on to become printed so that many pastors in ages past have, have come to find it as helpful. And there's a sentence, and I don't have it verbatim, but it goes something like this. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of marriage, he said, your love for each other does not hold the marriage together. It's the marriage that holds you together. See, we have this argument of defining marriage in America. And, and is there, can we have homosexual marriage, same-sex couples? Uh, can the state dictate what marriage is? And, and in, in an essence, especially with our First Amendment rights, we come to this place where marriage is a sacrament of God. It wasn't designed by man. It was designed by God. And so when the state comes in and tells the church what they're supposed to do, we have clearly an issue right there. They haven't come to that place, but it's getting there. We're finding it with our chaplaincy corps and the military that they're, uh, if, if, if they don't believe in gay marriage, they're being required in some cases to have to perform that or threaten not being promoted and the like. And so there's, there's a tension and a struggle, and it's becoming ever-increasing. I don't say that for the political purposes. I say it for this reason. The reason is this. You see, God holds the marriage together. It's a sacrament. It's his statement to mankind that he's not finished with the earth yet. He's given you each other that, that you would create a family and procreate for generations to come, regardless of how dooming the horizon may appear. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison, engaged to be married, knowing that the nation he loved was absolutely overrun and inundated by evil. But love hopes all things. And for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that was the picture that he had come up with in this understanding of marriage, that it's God's sacrament. It's his blessing upon mankind. It doesn't matter how tough it gets. God's grace is sufficient. As you individually seek the Lord, God knits your hearts together. It's his love shed abroad. He's called you into this relationship. See, most of us marry because we're lonely. Most of us marry because we look at somebody and we think they're going to be good for me. But in marriage, you're called into a service, into that marriage. You're called to lay down your life, and in losing it, you gain it. It's a concept that's foreign to us in a fallen world of selfish humanity. It's a picture of Christ's love for the church. He's the groom, we're the bride. He's the head. Even in the design of it, with you, have the, you have God, you have the, the husband, you have the wife, and you have the children. People struggle with that. Everybody wants their own place in life. Everybody wants to be behind the wooden stand. I get it. I know that. But the reality is when we come to this place, especially in the church, God says it doesn't work that way in heaven. It doesn't even work on the earth. How well is it serving us? Marriage isn't even honored anymore. It's just disintegrating around us. That which you receive too easily, you esteem too lightly. You know, if you fall in love, you fall out of love. Love is a commitment. Love is a, is a consecration. Love is a sacrament that God establishes on the hearts of His people. And it's in that love that families are established and lives are transformed and communities are affixed with the hope of a future. 
And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul's not just going down a list of all these things that, you know, let's take a personality test. Those are what the gifts are. It's a personality test. No, it isn't. It's deeper than that. It's a more excellent way. And, and, as, and as, he, as he declares to the church at Ephesus, and he goes through, and I'm not going to make this uh, an extended study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Suffice it to say, I believe the gifts are, 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 are in use today. I don't, I don't find, especially when I look at Corinthians, that, that they died with the apostles. That The scriptures don't declare that. That doesn't make any sense. And they're just as necessary today as they were when the church first started. I mean, we need them. We're in as, we're, I think we're worse off than we were before. And so when we, we look at this passage of Scripture, you know, Paul goes through a number of gifts, not only in Ephesians, but in 1 Corinthians 12 and also Romans 12. I'm going to touch on a few of those just on a surface level. And I'll, I've gone deeper on Wednesday nights and other messages, and you can get them online. And, and I'll cover a couple of the gifts, but let me just point it out to you this way. And going through this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, and please, I'm so glad you're here because this is a very important message for the body of Christ. And God chose you to be here today for a specific reason. And hear me out. Paul says, starting in verse 11, he says, He himself, God himself, gave some to be apostles. Now, I don't believe the, the position of apostles is still in op- operation today. They were, they were uh, uh, appointed by the Lord. And the requirements is that you had to see the Lord in person and... That's that's not happening. But some for prophets, some evangelists, those are still in action. Some pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. My job is to equip you unto ministry. Prophets, teachers, pastors, we're all here to equip you. Evangelists are here to equip you unto ministry. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to blow sunshine your way. I'm not here to give you a positive affirmation, heartfelt, special. although you may enjoy each of those things. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to equip you. Everybody look at me because I'm going to scan the room. I'm here to equip you on the ministry. No pew potatoes. Time for a little harvest. Okay, good. Why ministry? For the edifying of the body of Christ, building it up. Did you come in here and go, eh, this church is lame. I'm so glad you're here. You can fix it. Well, no, really, you're here to edify. You're here to build up. You're equipped unto ministry. You see a lack. God's given you that discernment to see it. Step in there. That's too far gone. Well, just do your part. We'll wait for the others to show up. Well, God began. He's faithful to complete. So the scripture says that it's for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith. That we all come to the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and trickery of men. You want the church to be strong? You want the folks that come here to be equipped? Take your place on the wall. You see, God doesn't give one person all the gifts. God doesn't give one person all the gifts. He gives you each a gift. Maybe some of you get a couple of them or a handful, but you don't get them all. Why? (laughs) I'm going to ask him this question later, but this was his point, that we would all work together. Amen. One person. (laughs) 
that we would work together. Now, I got news for you. I don't play well with others. And neither do you. You play well with people you like. But look around the room. There's some scary folks in here. I should say, just look in a mirror, right? We all have our issues. We all have our opinions. We all have our pet peeves. We all have our buttons to press. We all get upset. We all get anxious. We all get irritated. We all get tired. We all get lonely. We all have our agendas. We all have our flesh. We're all dealing and warring with inside us. And then we're all supposed to come together, put that aside and work in unity and kumbaya. It's tough. It's tough. But Paul wants the body to be healthy. Do you remember when I talked about chemotherapy in regards to the one cell whose greatest ability is to cause division and destroys the 40 trillion cells by division? And the reason why chemotherapy is so effective is it marks those cells that are dividing rapidly, those cells that are a problem. And we looked at Matthew 18, says Mark, uh, Romans says, Mark those who cause division, have nothing to do with them. Matthew 18 says, if you see somebody wayward, go and confront them. And if they don't repent, go with two or three witnesses. If they don't repent, bring the body of Christ and then just let them go. You, 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 that's the chemotherapy, dealing with the cancer. There's one other way to avoid cancer. My, my wife's grandfather <clears throat> had cancer, and they, they gave him weeks to live. He lived almost, uh, I think, almost over a year. And the first thing he did is, uh, that's it. He just went on this total diet that was amazing. I mean, he looked so good, even when the cancer, and, and it was, you know, just, he, he had rested it by the health in his body. The body was so healthy at, at, at almost 90 years of age with what he was eating and the diet, if the body's healthy enough, it'll reject the cancer and fight it on its own. And what Paul's saying is, you know, yeah, I don't necessarily want to do Matthew 18. I don't necessarily want to point out in Romans that to mark those who cause division. That's the last thing I want to do as a pastor and the elders want to do. Uh, that's the least favorite job I have as a pastor is confronting those that are a div- divisive in the body of Christ. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to be chemotherapy. <clears throat> it's no fun. I'll tell you what I'd rather do. I'd rather be a part of an incredibly healthy body that people come in and they go to gossip to somebody and the person says, oh, you, you have an issue. Let's go talk to them. Oh, I don't want to talk to them. Well, then I'll go with you, but you need to tell them what you told me because you can't gossip. Gossip, slander, flattery. Flattery is what you'll say to their face that you wouldn't say behind their back, and gossip is what you'd say behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face. They're both evil. And so since you're doing that, let's go talk to them. I don't want to do that. And the body's so healthy, it's just rejecting the cancer. They go, I'm out of here. I can't find any place to find a niche to <laughs> work my stuff. You come in here and you want to work it as a business, or you come in here and you want to <clears throat> lead people astray, or, or maybe you have a different theology. One of the reasons why we list our core theological positions, is so that you know what you're getting when you walk in. We're not Reformed. We're not Calvinists. We believe the gifts are for today. We're pre-trib, pre-millennial. I mean, we lay that out so that when you come in, this is who we are. If you come in with an agenda to go, oh, the Calvary folks just haven't really come to the full knowledge of it, and you want to start working your thing to peel people off, time to go. 
But if this starts to happen and somebody comes in right away, they go, wait a minute. These are what our doctrines say. This isn't the issue. Uh, let's go talk to the pastor because he's the pastor. And this is God's let's. <laughs> Cancer's gone. The body just rejects it. Boom, go away. Boom, go away. Boom, go away. <laughs> and that comes as we're built and we're edified. We're built up in the knowledge of Christ as we grow in this capacity. We avoid the cunning craftiness and the deceitful plotting. And we speak the truth in love. You can look at somebody and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that, you're, you, that, that that moves you and that's a direction for your heart. But this isn't what we're about. And I just, I wish you well. Let me give you some names of some pastors that oversee fellowships, that that is their specialty and that's where they're called to be a part of. And, 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 and in love, you can send them in those directions. That we would grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body and this is the part I love, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I ask you to use that word joined. What do joints do? They keep the body together. Imagine you didn't have, you know, an elbow. <laughs> I'll get that with the oh, oh. And then, uh, oh, let me just walk. And you're just a segmentated mess on the floor. The joints hold you together. How are we held together? This is what makes it work. Love. Love. You got to receive it before you give it. And you know what? If you become a Christian, you've received it. Now start giving it. As Christ has forgiven you, so forgive one another. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Be patient, willing to yield, abounding in love, right? Merciful, gracious, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want mercy? Give it. Give it. That joins us together. It's that love of Christ that joins us together. We're knit together and that supplies everything we need. That's the most excellent way. That's the love. It's the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. What are you doing? I'll tell you, my dad's brain decided to stop working. Just didn't want to show up. It's awful. It just decided it wasn't going to do it anymore. And the havoc is wreaked upon my dad. My mom's lungs decided, you know what, I'm done. Some of you know paralysis. It's hard. When, when Tom Hunt, a member of our congregation, had a stroke, it, right side of his body said, you know what, I'm done now. And that's what happens when you say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, church is just too hard. Getting up on Sunday, coming in, there's always something I'm supposed to do. I feel convicted. I know, but I just, you know, I don't need this. There's football on or there's something else going on. Well, we miss you. Like my dad misses his brain. We miss you. We need you. You have a role to play. You have a part to play. 
Some of you may go, well, what's my part, Pastor? I'm just a nobody. I'm just the dirt under the toenail of the body of Christ. I'm just nothing, Pastor. We need dirt. <laughs> no. Let me, let me briefly just go over some areas where you just, may, you just may be, listen, you just may be unaware of where you fit. I get it. For years, I struggled. Where do I fit in the body of Christ? I'd been attending church a long time before I ever realized God had called me to be a teacher and a pastor. I, I, I didn't realize that was my calling. I remember the first time it kind of appeared to me. I thought, no. I, I flunked. I kid you not. I flunked speech class. First time I was like, because <laughs> I wanted to go up and not use notes. <laughs> that was a mistake. But there was a reason why God instilled in me that. Because I, 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 that's how I operate. I'll look at things, but I, 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 I find direction in what God's doing by looking at people and, and feeding off of, of what I feel through discernment God's saying. Right or wrong, that's just how I'm wired. And I'm starting to recognize that calling and that gifting in my life. And the Lord starts to give you that understanding. You all have a place in the body of Christ. I understand just, just a lack of, of knowledge, you may not grasp where you fit. Let me go through some of these and see if it resonates with you. Pay attention. See if it resonates with you where you fit in the body of Christ. Because we've all been called by the Lord that every part does its share. Where do you fit? Where do you fit? It's not necessarily a task you're going to be doing. It's the gifting to do the tasks that are needed to be done. So let me just show you some of them. I'll begin as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It, it says, I'm going to start with the word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. I, I, considering this idea of a word of knowledge, uh, in Acts chapter 5, Peter uh, confronts this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. And they had said that they had sold the property for a certain amount, but they had actually withheld it, and they were lying to the congregation. And it wasn't the amount of money. It was the deception and the glory they wanted to receive for something that they didn't do. And the Lord gave Peter a word of knowledge. He would have had no way to have figured out what was in front of him had God not told him. And he was able to say to Ananias and Sapphira, you said this, is this true? And when they said yes, then... then then they were struck dead. I, I had a word of knowledge. I can't say I have a word of knowledge often. I've had a handful of them. I wouldn't say this is a, a preeminent gift in my life. I remember one time in particular, uh, a, young, uh, a, a young school friend that I'd had growing up in Coronado. We, used to, we were neighbors. We used to go to the beach all the time. Uh, the two brothers, I would hang out with them and the... the uh, there were three brothers. The oldest I wouldn't hang out with, but the youngest was in my class, and then the one older than that was the, the guy I'd hang around with the most. And, and we would do stuff together all the time. Well, we had lost contact with each other over a span of time, and, and, uh, and, and I had come to Christ, and I was back in Coronado, and I wanted to reconnect with him. And I called the middle brother, and, and he was home, and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to be in town on some business. 
uh, let's, old times, let's go to the beach. We'll go body surfing and hang out. I got to catch a flight out. And he goes, well, I'll give you a, a ride to the airport and we'll go do that. Great. Met, went to the beach, had a great day sitting on the beach. I wanted to share with him about the Lord. He had gone through a divorce. He was into Buddhism. I was talking to him about the Lord, talking to him about what God had done in my life. And he stops me. He says, I got to struggle with forgiveness and I, I just can't embrace Christianity. I said, okay. And I just knew that that was kind of just leave it alone. And he was pretty emphatic about it. And I prayed for him and prayed for him and and he was a burden on my heart. I kept praying for him. And, and uh, my wife's grandmother had a place in the shores. And I was going to go shower, get in the car, and go catch the plane. So he goes with me up to the apartment. And uh, he's waiting for me. And I go into the shower. And I'm getting the sand off and, and praying for him in the shower. And the Lord reminds me of a dream that I had had years ago. Weirdest dream. I don't even know how I remembered it. It was me and this guy. Uh, with we were making sandcastles at the beach, and this funky guy comes up, and he 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 putting cigarettes in the demon heads of this sandcastle he's building, and I, it was a dream. I didn't even know it was real. I'm like, what is that? And the Lord, in the shower, brings it to remembrance. I'm like, what? What is that all about? And I have this incredible burden to ask him if the issue of forgiveness has anything to do with this dream. <laughs> That's pretty creepy, isn't it? <laughs> I needed not just the word of knowledge, which I'd been given, but I needed the gift of faith because it's one thing to receive it and another to give it. My heart's pounding. My chest is tight. I, I'm, I'm, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. And the Lord is like, I'm shaking. I have to say this. I can't even describe to you. It's like, I had to say this. And I walked out and I'm, you know, I've got my suit on and I'm looking ready for business and I'm ready to look like an idiot. I go, uh, said my friend's name and I know this is going to sound really <laughs> out there and bizarre. Anywho, uh, you know, we were talking on the beach and I, I don't want to bring it up because I know it's important, but you know, we were talking on the beach and you said Christianity and the forgiveness issue, um, uh, I had a dream. We were building sandcastles, and this guy came up and was doing demon heads in the sand and putting cigarettes in it. I don't know if it was real. I'd had it years ago. I didn't even know I had had the dream until I was reminded in the shower when I was praying for you. And the Lord... <laughs> Oh boy, I'm in now. The Lord wanted me to ask you if this forgiveness issue has anything to do with this supposed guy in my dream with the sandcastle. He looks at me like a deer caught in headlights. What? Yeah, that was real. You were there. It wasn't a dream. I thought so, I said. He said, Rob, that guy who put the cigarette in the head of the sandcastle he built, he molested me. I said, was I there? He said, no. You went swimming, I went home, and he took me in his van, and he molested me. That's a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom is this. A word of wisdom, when, when, when God gives you a word of wisdom, it's what should I do now in light of what I know? And I, and I looked at 
my friend, and I said, he did that to you. God loves you. He knows what you've been through, and he's here to declare to you that he loves you. And until you forgive that man, he holds the key to your misery. Forgiveness is a key that will unlock you from that prison. God knows. That was a word of wisdom. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is, I had no idea what had happened to him. God showed me. A word of wisdom is, now that you've given me this knowledge, what do I do with it for your glory? And God reveals that. You folks have those. Your chest is heavy at times. You know when to speak. You don't think God works that way? He does. He does. In addition, when we go down this, another one is discernment. Discernment. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the discerning of spirits. Discernment. I was thinking of this. This is the the idea of discernment. It sees through and it distinguishes. My wife, and I'm just going to warn you, she has discernment. It bugs me, but she's got it. She's got it. She's got it. Let me show you in Scripture what discernment is, uh, the, the, the gift of discernment. In, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is in Philippi. And, and as he's traveling through Philippi, it happened that he went to prayer and there was a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination that met us and who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and Luke and cried out. And this is what she kept crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, that's a pretty good statement, isn't it? She's saying, this, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. For many days she kept saying that. She's saying the right thing. And it's exceptionally irritating. Have you ever been around somebody that's real churchy and says the right stuff, but there's just something off? Anybody? You're going, yeah, right now. (laughs) That's not discernment. But the scripture says, Paul was greatly annoyed and he turned to the spirit. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And And he came out that very hour. That's discernment. There's something wrong here. It all seems right on the surface, but there's something wrong here. Things don't seem the way they, or things aren't the way they appear to be. That's discernment. Some of you folks have that. You know, I've I've gone through this. I, 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 I cherish this gift in ministry. I cherish this gift in ministry. It's gotten us out of a number of, of struggles. And I'll tell you one in particular. I had a letter that was sent to me around the Christmas season years ago when I was over at Skyline. And it raved and raved and raved about this person in the church, about how wonderful they were and what they'd done for them and how they'd led them to Christ and how thankful they were for the ministry and the selflessness and what they do. And it was this beautiful letter and it was, it was heart-wrenching. It was so beautifully written. And initial reading, you're like choked up. I mean, you're just, you know, it's, Wow. 
And, and you know, a number of folks said, Let, let's, let's bless this person because we know that the person they're writing about is going through a struggle. Let's bless them. And so the church blessed them. The minute that the, the check left my hands, discernment, a little late. And I'm driving, I'm going, there's no way. Are you kidding me? They wrote this letter about themselves as though someone else, this, this can't be. I mean, this person's in service and ministry. There's no, there's, yeah. That is, it was. You got to have it. Because, listen, we're a fallen race. Of, we're just a mess. And everybody's capable of it. I'm glad to have it. I'm looking. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to move on here. Prophecy is speaking the right thing for the moment. I, I really believe that Pastor Dave has a gift of prophecy and exhortation. His amazing ability to, to speak things with a boldness, and, and it's the right word for the moment. We've gone through wisdom helps. Uh, let me, the, the, the idea of the gift of helps, uh, it, it just simply means it takes someone by the hand. Rich or poor, economics don't matter to you. You see somebody in need, you go to help them. You'll find yourself comfortable working at Gabriel's house or Arrow Ministries or down at the rescue mission. You're going to be the one who's going to be the, see the elderly person who can no longer mow their lawn, and you'll see them starting. You just have this need to want to help them. Uh, there's folks in this fellowship. You just see a child, and, and, and their parents are you know, not taking. Your heart breaks. You just got to go help. It's not even your kid. You're just all over them. That's the gift of helps. It's a great gift. It can also destroy you if it's not you know, tendered with the Lord. You got to have wisdom. You know, you, you, you help so much, you destroy yourself. Uh, the, gift, the gift of helps needs to be balanced with an understanding of the word of God. I'll tell you what, if you got a leaky faucet in the congregation, you don't need me coming over there to preach you a sermon. You need somebody to come over and fix your leaky faucet. Let me tell you about water dripping from the faucet. Uh, scriptural references are numerous, and the illustrations that can be found in this are quite extensive. It's leaking. Right. I have a toolbox that consists of the yellow pages and a credit card. <laughs> I can't fix that for you. I learned, got that from Dave Johnston. I can't fix that for you. Gift of administration, as you see this idea of administration in, in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, the, the gift of administration, it's the navigator. They're the one that, that keeps you going in the direction that you need to go. And, and, and you know, folks will come in, uh, Pastor, we've got this ministry we need you to be a part of. Ah, doesn't fit what we're doing. We're going this way. <laughs> Lord bless you, though, because there's a lot of people going that way. And I'll connect you with where you can go to help that. But we're, we're going this way, so stay the course. But, Pastor, I really think this needs to, I'm sure you do. But this is where we're going. And an administrator, you know, Denny is great at administrating. He sits down, he says, does this fit in what we're doing? No. Okay. Jettison. <laughs> it's this idea of keeping the direction of where you're going administering. These are folks that will look at a stack of papers. I look at that and my chest gets tight. I'm like, bills. They're like, oh, bills. I love bills. I love paper. I just love to sort and stack and go through calls. I love that. I love employee you know, meetings where we have to go through evaluations. I'm like, ah, <laughs> That's a gift of administration. The gift of ministry is a deacon. It's, it's the idea of, of one who waits tables. They're 
They have a love to serve people. I came out and I, I saw a fellow just walking the lot with a magnetic roller to pick up nails in the driveway so you don't get them in your tire. They just want to serve you. You come in, they're helping you get a parking space. The temperature's set. There's toilet paper on the rolls. There's, you know, it's, they, they just love to serve people. And you can look right past them and they're invisible and, and you come in and you mess it up and they'll just do it again because they just love to serve you. And that's, that's a gift of ministry. That's, a, that's the idea of a deacon. Uh, we've got just a couple more. The gift of exhortation is, is this idea of stirring people up, getting them motivated, building people up to go forward. You know, you just, you just, you, you're, you're moved to go in that direction. And that's a gift of exhortation. Uh, we find in Romans 12, verse 8, uh, he who gives with liberality is the gift of giving. And I'm not talking about, you know, this is beyond your tithes and your offering. These are people that just love to give. It's, you've met them in your lifetime. They just, you know, they, you have a nice shirt. They take it off their back. Here you go. You're like, well, I didn't, I just was telling you, and plus you're kind of fat and I, I don't, can put it back on, would you? But it's, it's this idea that they'll give you anything they have. They just, they love to give. There's some people that, no, no. And for them, for a tithe and offering, they got to die a thousand deaths. To go beyond that, it's like, I don't know. It hurts. But there are others that go, oh, yeah, tithe and offering, and oh, yeah, here, oh, here. And they're just, it, they just give. My dad was like that. He's just, he never had any savings. He was just, whoosh, whoosh, just right out. And he was, he was liberal and generous in his giving, as it says, he who gives liberality. I was moved by that in watching my dad's life. I believe that goes hand in hand with the gift of hospitality. That, you, you know, you don't look at your things and go, well, this, this is my new carpet, and I just don't want it soiled, and so it's just perfect. So we'll have guests over that are clean. <laughs> well, you don't have this. Ask for it. It's good to have, but you don't have it. You don't have the gift of hospitality or the gift of giving. The idea is you just open, you just open up the floodgates. You just, if God, and, and the gift of giving comes with the gift of faith. And, and it's one of those things where it, 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 it's, it's precious. For God so loved the world that he gave. It just, it's one of those that reflects the heart of the Lord. And not everybody has it. Not everybody has it. I mean, you're the kind of person that you'd see the bake sale, you go up and go, ah, put them all in a box. Here you go. The kids are like, whoa, I'm going to bake more often. That's the gift of giving. Um, I'll just, I'll come to the, this, the close of this passage by uh, one of the things that you see in verse 8, it says, the gift of leading, he who leads with diligence. If you don't have any leaders, it results in going nowhere. You have no direction. You have no direction. And, and leaders in leading, people look at them, oh, they're egotistical and they're bossy. Well, they're leading. And, and that gift comes with a price. Because some people don't want to go where you're going. And you're, they don't like you. But that's what happens. You lead. And so he who leads with diligence. Just be diligent about what you're doing. People are going to be naysayers. They're going to be frustrated. Just do it and do it as God leads you to do it. Don't, don't be persuaded by all the voices around you. Just lead. And so this idea of leading... If, if nobody's leading, you result in going nowhere. And I've met a lot, of, I've seen a lot of churches that, you know, it's a nice place to be, they're not going anywhere. 
They're not going anywhere. The gift of mercy, I'll tell you what. When my mom died, the last place I wanted to step into was a hospital. When Pastor Marty's wife, Gwen, was in the hospital for all those months, I, I, every day I woke up with a, a burden on my heart and a conviction, and my chest was just, I was struggling in this because I did not want to go to the hospital. This, this, is, this is Pastor Marty's wife, Gwen. Gwen is precious to me, and I'm struggling going into the hospital to go see Gwen. Other people were like, oh, I saw Gwen this afternoon. I'm going to see her tonight. And, I, and I'm like, thank you, Lord, that you're ministering in my absence, but God, help me. Give me this. And the first person I visited after my mom died was Gwen. I was able to go in there. I got, and, and praise the Lord, Gwen is doing great, and, and God's doing a wonderful work in her life healing-wise. But I'll tell you what, if you see me come into a hospital to visit you, you're probably dying. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, not always, not always. Some of you going, oh, why is he here? <laughs> Get him out. <laughs> and it's not always the case. There have been folks, a few of them, who have healed. <laughs> but there are some of you, you know what? You have this gift of mercy. You just, you're the one that you just come alongside. You have the right word to say. You have this compassion and this ability. There are some folks, they'll come into a hospital room and, and it's the last person you want by your bedside. They're going on and on and on and talking endlessly and telling stories about themselves and they're, buckle up, you're going to make it. My brother was kind of like that. My mom, sweet, and I told my brother face to face, when my brother comes into my mom's room and grabs her hand, Lord Jesus, you're just the God of all creation and you're going to heal her and come on, mom, you can make this happen. And my mom's looking at him going, oh, God love him. You know, but it was exhausting. Everybody in the room was exhausted. But it was him emoting just to feel like he could make his mom healthy again. And I know what he was dealing with, but he, that's not mercy. Mercy is you just come in and you empathize. When a servant speaks when they're spoken to, offers their opinion when they ask, and they just sit down, and a lot of times they're just present and quiet. And they don't overstay their welcome. They have this unique ability to know what to do. That's a gift of mercy. It's a wonderful gift, one that's blessed me throughout my life. You know, when you're overwhelmed and you're just struggling in life, and you got a guy with a gift of, the ex, of exhortation, a guy with a gift of mercy, and there's somebody who's just overwhelmed and they're on the edge, and the guy with the exhortation comes in and goes, why are you depressed? You're a king's kid. Pick yourself up. Get moving. Exhortation's like, I, can I get door number two? And door number two, mercy comes out, and they're like, oh the right thing for the right time. You understood the weakness of the moment and you blessed me. Thank you. And, and I'll just close with this. Everybody has at least one gift. You don't have all of them, but you have at least one. Nobody possesses them all. And I, I would just say, as we've seen this passage of Scripture, that you, you need to take your place and do your share. Some of these things have resonated with you and you can see yourself in those gifts. Exercise them. Use them. It joins the whole body together. You, you're not using them. Probably either you were ignorant, and today that's been resolved. And from this point on, for a lot of us, and, and some of you have been walking with Christ for a while and you're still not using them, I just want you to know that's selfish. I mean, there's no other way to get around it. This is God's 
body. We're joined together in love. Everyone does their share. Everybody has a ministry. We all have a responsibility to the health, to the health and success of this church. Everybody has a responsibility to the health and success of this fellowship. Everybody. Everybody. I'll close with this. This is my last of four closings. I'm folding up my papers. That means nothing. When the pastor looks at his watch, it means nothing. No, but I will say this. Someone comes in the church. This has happened. They walk in. They say, I remember one pastor sharing this, and, and their, their response was pretty intense. person walked in the church. They said, uh, I'm just here kind of checking it out and see what you have to offer. His response was, what do you have to offer? When did the church become a place you shop? You serve. And the other picture is the guy who comes in, and, and this happens a lot. They'll come in, and you just haven't seen him. Four or five months, just AWOL, absent without leave. You just haven't seen Where you been? Eh, just taking a break. Taking a break? Kind of like my dad's brain did? We need you. Where have you been? Could you imagine if everybody in the body of Christ decided to take a break? There'd be no testimony on the face of the earth. We're all in it together. We all do our share. That's the body of Christ. That's what Paul's declaring to the church at Ephesus and to us this morning. Amen?